Ladies and gentlemen, in the red corner, hailing from the state of Nevada, representing the steam and wise guys, it's the always feared Vegas Odds Maker! And in the blue corner, the crowd favorite from South Florida, Mark Winning Picks Lawrence! Hi, everybody. Welcome back once again. This is Mark Lawrence along with Victor King. A week before Thanksgiving, we're getting ready for that big turkey next week. We've got a lot of football action on tap this week as we go against the spread on this week's college and pro football cards. And with that, as always, I want to welcome in our co-host, Victor King from King Creole Sports. And Victor, have you got your turkey bird all picked out yet? We're definitely getting ready for the uh, Thanksgiving holiday, Mark. Uh, you'll have to bear with me a little bit. I got a little bit of a uh, virus or something, uh, congestion, uh, a little bit of uh, nausea in the stomach. I think we may have something going on in terms of a uh, virus, maybe in the King household. I know my wife Sandy's under the weather and, of course, her son Bobby as well. So uh, bear with me a little bit. Uh, we'll get over it. I might cough during the podcast. I might blow my nose or something, but uh, we'll get over it. I'll, I'll say this. It, it doesn't help that uh, we pretty much had a uh, wipeout weekend for our King Creole service as well uh, to add to the uh, you know pain and sickness. Now, we did hit our highest rated play of the weekend, which was over the total in the Detroit to Chicago Bears game, but everything else was pretty bad both on Saturday and Sunday. So, uh, hey, we'll get over it. we got a holiday coming up. Uh, someone who did not let last weekend affect them was Mark Lawrence, who had that great comeback weekend on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, let me see here. Mark's late phone service, 3-1 on Saturday, 2-1 on Sunday. He also went a perfect 2-0 with the best bets the four-star college game of the week, which was Arkansas, who hung in there and covered that number uh, in that game. So uh, the best bet college football game of the week, Arkansas, very nicely done. And, of course, Mark had a big one in the NFL last week, the Arizona Cardinals for his revenge game of the year. And, you know, Mark, when we were talking about that game last Friday when you released it, and the fact that you may not have your starting quarterback in that game, Kyler Murray, you didn't seem too phased. And you know what? You and I were tweeting back and forth during that Cardinals-Rams game, and we were both saying, you know, there are times when the Cardinals' offense seems much more efficient with Colt McCoy than with uh, Kyler Murray. So, again, well done. Great for sticking to your guns in that game. And bringing home that outright underdog win on the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, but with that said, I do got to pass on my condolences to Mark. You know, uh, Mark's sister passed away yesterday on uh, Tuesday. We're very, very sorry to hear that. I know she was under the weather. I know she was uh, ailing. It does not make things any, uh, better at all. And it looks like uh, Mark has to make funeral arrangements now during the middle of the football season. And again, Mark, uh, again, our condolences to you and to uh, Colleen as well for that uh, tragic passing of your sister. Well, I very, very much appreciated, Victor. Thank you. Uh, that means a lot to me. 
And we will, in fact, dedicate this show to my sister. How about that? I love it. There we go. That's what we're going to do. Uh, rolling the tape back a little bit. Uh, you mentioned about those wins last week. Using in both games, by the way, Arkansas and the big plant Arizona backup quarterbacks, uh, it, which kind of goes to that theory that I love talking about and love implementing, and that's whenever a star quarterback is out for the first game, backup quarterback does tend to rally it, come in and the team rallies around him. So it, it checked both boxes last week. So good good way it worked out for us that week, and uh, we'll thank the football gods for those particular results. On to the college football card this weekend, Victor, and uh, we noticed the college football poll rankings. Uh, not much shook up in the poll rankings this week. We still have uh, four undefeated teams, and there also happen to be the top four ranked teams in the poll, which they should be. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU. Uh, also inside the midweek alert, as I like to hit on, there are only two remaining teams in college football this year that have won the yards in every game they played. We lost one last week. That was Illinois, finally got beat in the stats. Georgia and Michigan are the two guys left for that battle of King of the Hill for the undefeated in the stats football teams this year. Three teams in college football this year that have, are winning the yards over 200 yards every game, the same three guys as last week, Georgia, Michigan, and Ohio State. If that rings a common thread, it should, because we should likely see or could see all three of these teams in the college football playoff. A lot depends upon who loses that Michigan-Ohio State game next week, how bad they lose the football game, and how the other one-loss teams are faring along the way. We're watching teams like Tennessee playing for a lot of style points right now. And uh, we've got other one-loss teams in the Pac-12 in Oregon and Southern Cal, who could also likely be playing with a lot of style points, so forth and whatnot. So a lot of that's going to uh, be determined here this week and obviously next week for Thanksgiving weekend. One other thought, Victor, before I pass it on to you. Uh, usually Thanksgiving, the way we map things out, uh, in putting our newsletter together this week, uh, it was a, just a monster job doing just that, not only because of the passing of my sister, <clears throat> but also because there are an abundance of college football teams, 64 matchups in college football this week. And it kept us up burning the midnight oil for that newsletter on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. But usually on Thanksgiving week, that pairs down a little bit, okay? Because the season's in, there's bye weeks, everything and so forth and whatnot. So I'm looking forward to next week's newsletter. I'm mapping out the schedule. What do I see? 62 games <laughs> on the football card next week. So... Uh, we're not going to be anything short of uh, of some excitement, at least, on the college football scene come next week. So with that, uh, I'm going to pass it over to you and get your thoughts on what you saw on the college football card last week. Well, you know, Mark, we have to first congratulate the five teams in college football that have covered the spread in 80% or more of their games this season, even though they lost last week and shocked us a little bit. Tulane Green Wave, Oregon State, Tennessee, all eight and two ATS on the year. TCU eight one and one. But forget that. There's one team that actually has nine ATS wins this year, and they deserve some congratulations. And that's the Connecticut Huskies, who are nine and two against the spread on the year. A great job by Jim Mora. The Huskies are now bowl eligible. Six wins on the season. Not bad for a team that's only averaging 20 points per game. But in terms of ATS wins, it's the Connecticut Huskies who are wow, actually wow. kings in college football. Can you believe it? 
the lead dog, the Connecticut Huskies. <laughs> Definitely. You know, Mark, uh, when it comes to uh, the college football playoff rankings, a lot of people ask what makes a good uh, resume. And uh, here's at least one person's opinion to make a good resume in terms of the actual playoff you got to have at least one win against a very, very good to great opponent. Maybe one of those teams in the top 10% of the FBS teams to prove that you can play with the best of the best. you got to have three or more wins against good teams, teams who are maybe in the top one-third of FBS, to prove that you can survive the week-in, week-out grind uh, you're probably going to need two or more wins in true road games to show you can go into a hostile environment and hold your own. So that does leave some of the questions in the SEC conference. And if you add those three things up and if you uh, uh, kind of package them together, well, you're covering basically the first uh, eight out of nine teams that are in the college football rankings. But the ninth team? That'd actually be the Washington Huskies, who check in at a less than exciting number 17 in this week's rankings behind four other Pac-12 teams, including two loss Utah, two loss UCLA, as well as two, two loss Oregon, who's ranked five spots higher than Washington, despite losing last week to Washington. So, you know, there you have it. The Pac-12, it's essentially a five-team stalemate right now. So a lot can change, naturally. But there's really very little case for Washington as the fourth of those five teams. And we'll be simply looking at the credits rather than the debits on the Huskies' resume. There's actually a fairly strong for increasing their status a little bit. I agree with that, Victor. Uh, they were one of the plays we used last week, and uh, we saw in their numbers, uh, people saw all they saw were three losses in a team that uh, maybe was going downhill after their great start. But very, very well-coached football team, Caleb, Caleb DeBoer, a quarterback that might be the best quarterback in that conference. I know Caleb Williams Michael gets all the ink, but uh, Mike, Michael Penix Jr., right. uh, he really lights things up for that football program here. And they're going to be a team that nobody's going to want to play in the college bowl games. I can tell you, assure you that if they land a, uh, a New Year's Day six bowl game, kudos to them because I think they will be very well deserving of something just like that. Uh, let's move over now, Victor, if we may, to the uh, NFL side of the football. And last week uh, we saw the number one undefeated Philadelphia Eagles finally bite the dust, if you will. And it was rather most inevitable when you find a football team going this deep into the NFL football season to stay undefeated. And when you find those losses, they generally come against division opponents because the division opponent really comes with fire in their eyes. Uh, to find uh, an undefeated team inside their division, you get their best effort. And we got their best effort from Washington in that football game Monday night, a football team that's a little bit under the radar here. And I loved, just loved seeing Ron Rivera in the post-game conference after the football game. He was like next to speechless uh, for having accomplished what they just did. Uh, and a great job for the Washington Commanders in that football game. I don't know if I referred to them the Redskins or not, but the Washington Commanders in that football game. And it was nice to see Philadelphia get knocked off their perch. Not that I'm anti-Philadelphia at all. I love this, the Philadelphia, and I love what the Eagles are doing. 
But I wasn't really all that surprised to see that result happen here, and we'll see exactly how they fare coming out of a football game like that. Now, that wasn't an embarrassment loss for the Eagles by any means. There were some other games I thought that were a little bit teams more embarrassed. Our good friend, the Texas Tornado, Steve Pratt from Dallas, he nominates the Dallas Cowboys as being his most embarrassed team on the football card this week. After that paw that they had in Minnesota, blowing that 14-point uh, lead, they were 195-0 with 14-point lead going into the fourth quarter when they choked that away. So obviously that would be embarrassment for Dallas in a game like this. But i got to also nominate two other teams, Victor, if I, for most embarrassed teams. And I might have to put the Buffalo Bills on that list. I think they're rather embarrassed, uh, if you will, back-to-back uh, -back losses coming in here right now. Uh, losing to the New York Jets, if you will, a football team that uh, they were double-digit favorites, my goodness, against. Uh, so we'll see what they have in, uh, in in their game plan here this week when they take on the Cleveland Browns. And another team I would nominate would, again, be the perpetual nominee, the Las Vegas Raiders, who continue to embarrass themselves each and every week to throughout the football season. They had a matchup of a train wreck of a game last week because it not only are the Raiders a train wreck, but so too were the Indianapolis Colts coming into the football game. New coach, new offensive coordinator, a rebirth of a quarterback who they had given up on and said, hey, we're going to start you. And I think that might have been part of a game plan too, by the way, just to make that announcement about Matt Ryan and then uh, get rid of the coach and bring Matt Ryan back. But we'll never know because no NFL owner will ever admit that. But i got to I got to nominate the Las Vegas Raiders as being one of those most embarrassed teams again this week. Well, your take on that particular subject, uh, if you want to expound on that, Victor, great. Otherwise, what else did you see in the NFL last week? Well, I'll tell you, uh, King's best friend would definitely agree with you in terms of the Raiders being the most embarrassed team, and that's our boy Tuco, who had the Raiders score over 23 points in that home against the Colts. And uh, poor Tuco finished up 15 yards short. What were the Raiders yeah. down to the Colts' 15-yard line at the end of the game and turned it over on down? So uh, my dog Tuco would definitely agree with you on that. In terms of most embarrassed team, yeah, you can make a case for the Buffalo Bills giving up that uh, double-digit second-half lead and the fact that, uh, what is this now? Is this three games in a row in which Allen has thrown uh, two interceptions in a game? including one that was picked off in the end zone at the end of the game. So you can definitely, you know, make a case for Buffalo, that's for sure. Uh, what would be potentially cool would be that if a, a Vikings-Bills Super Bowl rematch, uh, not only would be a rematch of the NFL Game of the Year here in 2022, it would probably be one of the more surreal Super Bowls of all time uh, and historic even before the kickoff because it basically means – that one of the two franchises would have no choice but to actually win a Super Bowl, <laughs> right? <laughs> Minnesota and Buffalo. One more team I want to throw in there, and this is my year-to-date most embarrassed team, and uh, you cashed some big money playing against them last week, and it's the Super Bowl champion, L.A. Rams. In their game against Arizona, they had only 250 total offensive yards. They lost by double digits favored by more than a goal and they are the worst nfl ats team on the season at two six and one ats that's my vote for probably year to date most embarrassed team the la rams well the rams are also cap struck victor if you will they paid so many big big dollar contracts 
to maybe 10 players that draw mega contracts. They can't go anywhere. They can't make moves. They're cap struck. This football team is going to be down not only the rest of this year, but next year as well. So it's kind of sad to see you go from the top of the mountain down to the bottom of the pile. But that's what's happening with the Rams this year. And we're seeing it not only on the playing field, but also statistically as a handicapper because they can't run the football a lick. Then you throw in the loss of Cooper Cup. My goodness, the most dynamic offensive player in the league. Uh, he's gone. Matthew Stafford, their quarterback, he's in concussion protocol. It's a mess right now in Los Angeles. And that's one of the reasons we picked uh, on, on and against them with the Cardinals for our big revenge play last week in the National Football League. Uh, also, taking a look at what you mentioned about the Buffalo Bills and losing that game, that loss, Victor, in the current playoff picture, uh, they are now the number six seed in the AFC. They were number two wow. all season long. All, number one even ahead of Kansas City at a point. Right, but right. They fall, right. They fall now in the, in, in the uh, AFC East standings. They trail Miami, if you will. Uh, take a look at that playoff picture coming in this weekend. The number one seeds, Kansas City and Philadelphia, getting to be the same old song. Number two, Miami, the aforementioned Dolphins, and the Minnesota Vikings. Number three, Tennessee and Seattle, even the loss that Seattle incurred over in Germany, and what a great football game that was, and what a oh, great man. environment that was. I'm going to talk to you about that in just a moment. Uh, they're still number three, the Seattle Seahawks. Number four, the Baltimore Ravens and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Uh, number five, the Jets and the Giants, New York's finest, coming in the number five seeds. Number six, Buffalo, as I mentioned, tumbles down to number six, along with Dallas, who tumbles down to number six. And the number seven and final seeds would be Baltimore and San Francisco. And just to bring it go full circle here, Victor, I mentioned that game with Seattle and Germany, and what a delight it was watching that football game. I saw a reinvigorated Tom Brady uh, in that football contest there. He just he just ate up the environment there, the crowd, uh, everybody singing to uh, John Denver's uh, country uh, roads. But what blew my mind, Victor, is, it was in Germany, and they're singing in English words. You know? <laughs> I, had, I had goosebumps when they were singing that song. It was fantastic. It was great. It was absolutely terrific, and uh, what a case they made. I heard over 3 million ticket requests for that football game, for that contest. That's how popular the sport is in Germany here. So we're going to see a lot more games coming up in Germany here real soon, if not a franchise, when they unveil this new international division in the National Football League. But it was really, really quite a sight to see. And uh, I know you love it too, Victor. I know you're of German heritage. And uh, to see that crowd be like that had to be a good thumbs up feeling. That was fantastic. And also, you know, uh, they're they're in talks now to expand that international series into potentially France and into Spain as well. And you mentioned uh, the fact that uh, the tickets for this game here in Munich sold out in about 10 minutes when they went online. It's just unbelievable. Whoa. Scalper's paradise in Germany <laughs> for the National Football League, but really quite a nice scene to see. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence Against the Spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show, our podcast, and our video cast. If you're watching us, terrific. If you're listening, all much better. We enjoy your comfort and your support. With that, Victor, let's move it over now to our college football game of the week, if we may. And looking at the college football card this week, I think we've got a beauty on tap this week. We're going to go to the Pac-12 conference between two football teams that are ranked in all the polls. 
That's the Utah Utes taking on the Oregon Ducks. I think this is going to be one heck of a football game this Saturday. Victor, how do you see the Utes and the Ducks faring on Saturday? Okay, quick time out here for about 10 seconds, Greg. I got to punch up my Microsoft Word document here, and then I'll count me back down again. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna. I'll count down. Uh, I'll go like a three, two, one, and then I'll uh, get into the game. I'm gonna go three, two, one. You got that right, Mike. We are heading to the Pac-12 conference, a late night West Coaster in the Pac-12 conference. This game nationally televised on ESPN TV, 10:30 p.m. Eastern time. Utah Utes, Oregon Ducks, a very, very big game in the Pac-12. North Division. As far as the point spread goes, Oregon opened up as a three-point favorite. That's where they are as we record the podcast. The line has not moved. It's a tight three-point line in this particular game as far as the over-under goes. It opened at 62 points. It's gone up a full point, uh, right at 63.0 as we speak. And let's see here. The Utah Utes are five and five over-under team on the season. Their average line 57.4, average combined points, 59.2, average margin, plus 1.8. So they've still actually averaged uh, uh, more into the over range, despite the fact that they are 5-5. Five and five. Oregon, we know what we're getting there, 70% over team on the season. The Ducks are 7-3 and three over under. Their average line, 63.4. Average combined points, 69.6. And the average duck game has gone over by almost a full touchdown, plus oh. 6.2 points per game. We're getting some big-time offense in this one. That is for sure. Utah comes in number 12 scoring offense on the season. They're averaging 39.3. Oregon, number four scoring offense, 42.2 is what the Ducks average on offense this season uh, in terms of uh, yards per game. We've got two teams who are actually close to being 500-yard offenses. That's definitely what you get with Oregon. They're averaging 528 yards per game. They're the number two offense behind Tennessee on the season. And Utah, not far behind. They're number 22 at 464 offensive yards per game. Yes, they do have the 22nd-ranked defense this year. However, the Ducks' defensive numbers are down or up if you want to compare that this year they are now number 91 in total defense for oregon they're allowing almost 400 yards per game and oregon is actually playing with double revenge in this game i'm sure mark will have something to say about that they lost in the regular season to the utes 38 to 7 last year then they lost in the rematch which was the pac-12 championship game 38 to 10 so in terms of actual over-under streaks, Utah is coming in off three straight unders in a row. Oregon's gone under in each of their last two games. It looks like the value in this one is actually on the over. And as far as the quarterbacks go, it does not get any better than this. It looks like we're preparing for a high-scoring Pac-12 shootout. Uh, we know Bo Nix, of course, for Oregon. He transferred from Georgia. He has looked sharp all season long. He's ranked as the top three, number three quarterback in QBR rating for the season. The only two guys that are uh, ahead of him 
are C.J. Stroud of Ohio State and Hendon Hooker of Tennessee. So a great year from Bo Nix. And, you know, Cameron Rising of the Utes is not far behind either. He's the number five quarterback wow. in QBR rating. So we got two of the top five quarterbacks in all of college football going at it on Saturday night with an over-under line that's manageable. This is not one of those high 60s, low 70s. It's a fairly low over-under line for a Pac-12 games at 63.0. Don't forget the weather can always be an issue in Pac-12 games, particularly the games that are played up in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, my favorite weather app is an app called weatherstem.com. And that's the word weather, stem, S-T-E-M, dot com. They cover all college football games only. They give you a stadium's elevation, the almanac averages, a complete weather breakdown, wind reports, chances of precipitation, humidity, cloud cover. Uh, with that said, we're looking good in this one. When I do check the uh, folks there at weatherstem.com, the weather report for game time in Eugene is yeah, it's going to be cold, 33 degrees. That's fine. Winds only one mile an hour, only a seven percent chance of rain. So you know, based on the spread and the over/under line, the implied score in this game is Oregon 33, Utah 30. Uh, with a spread so low, only three points, the odds are much higher on this game's potentially going into overtime. And again, like I said last week. You know what they say about college football overtimes? It's where unders go to die. Our database models project the final score of somewhere about 38 to 34. Maybe we get into the 70s, the low 70s. Either way, this looks like a fun game to watch. We got a great quarterback, Jill, and we'll be going over the total in the Utah-Oregon game. Victor likes the value to the over in this football game in that Saturday night special. I'll be watching this football game. I think, like Victor says, this is one of the best college football games I think we'll tune into this football season here. The Utah Utes are very, very highly thought up throughout the college football world here. They rank number 10 in all three of the current polls, that being the AP, the coaches, and the college football playoff poll. The Oregon Ducks are number 12 in two of those polls and number 13 in the coaches poll. So these teams are really relatively very close when it comes to the eyes of the coaches and the people voting on their strengths and weaknesses this football season. The one thing Utah does the best is when they are out on the conference road and they dress up as single-digit dogs. That's the role they'll be in here. They're perfect 5-0 and to the spread the last five times they've been on the conference road taking single digits. Victor mentions also the fact that they beat the Ducks twice last year in the regular season and the Pac-12 title game. They beat them pretty good in that Pac-12 title game. Taking a good team out like Oregon two times in one year is really rather quite an accomplishment. Take a look at the Ducks coming into this game here. You have to figure that last week in that Washington game, they were probably looking ahead to this game. If for no other reason, they've had this game circle twice for those two revenge aspects that I just mentioned. In that game against Washington last week, they put up 592 yards in that home loss. That was a pretty impressive offensive performance by Oregon. They won the yards by 70 games. It was just a boneheaded call by their head coach when he opted to go for it in his own territory late in the game and didn't make it, and he gave the ball back to Washington. 
They proceeded to kick the field goal and win the football game. I can't believe the call I saw, but nonetheless, it was made and they lost the football contest. This is an Oregon football team that, if you look inside the stats, we talk about going inside the stats. They're 9-1 to the number this year inside the stats. What we do with those putting on the stats dogs as we played on them as dogs throughout the month of November in this particular role. There are two dogs in this week's college football card uh, in, in this particular role. Now, they're not the dog here in this particular game, but they're still 9-1 against the spread in the stats this year. I also like the fact that, look at Oregon, they're 5-0 to the spread at home with revenge coming off a home loss that's going all the way back to 1996. I'm going to stay at home with Oregon to look for them to get their revenge in this football game. If for no other reason, this football team is 23-1 straight up at home the last 24 games. And what was the one loss? Last week against Washington. I don't see this football team losing two football games in a row at home. I like the Oregon Ducks over Utah for my side in this big Pac-12 conference game on Saturday night. You're tuned in to Mark Lawrence against the spread, the nation's most popular sports handicapping talk show. And Victor, we've got a beauty on tap going in the NFL this particular week. We're going to go inside the division of the National Football League where every team owns a winning record. That's quite an accomplishment for the AFC East when the New England Patriots play host to the New York Jets. I think this will be a heck of a football game on Sunday, Victor. What do you think about this contest? I'm excited to dig into this game. That is for sure, Mark. You know, before I do, let's talk about our newsletters, our yes. playbook newsletters. Midweek alert, totals tip sheet, playbook newsletter. You see the uh, headline for this week's newsletter, how the college football five-star best bets have been cleaning up over the last month of play. And, you know, you know, Mark, we release the newsletters. The uh, totals tip sheet comes out on Tuesday afternoons each week. The playbook newsletter comes out on Tuesday evenings each week. We do that for you, for the customer, to get that information out as soon as you possibly can get it in your hands. Because the earlier you get it, A, the more opportunity you have to, A, track the line moves, to shop for the best line, to do as much research as you possibly can before pulling the trigger. There is a reason that we put out the newsletter as early as we do. And of course, we work very, very hard on Tuesday, on Monday, and even on Sunday working on the playbook newsletter. You know, uh, with most people enjoying their NFL Sunday at the bar, at the restaurant, at the casino, I need to be in my home base on Sundays. Uh, I need to be in my comfort zone. So, you know, we, Sandy and I, we rarely go out on NFL Sundays. Uh, again, I need to be in the comfort of my own home with the uh, Red Zone channel on the big TV and our local couple of games on the smaller TVs. I've got my computer in front of me. We've got the uh, playbook database in front of me so we can be working on our newsletters while we're enjoying our NFL Sundays. And not only that, you know, uh, I don't like a lot of people coming over to the house to watch games on Sunday either. It's just our tight little inner circle, our family, uh, Sandy, uh, her sons. They're the only ones who are really invited over the King household on Sundays. So we get plenty of positive vibes. We're in our own controlled home environment. And not only that, but we get a bonus. And the bonus for the King household 
is the fact that we got the the doggies. You know, any uh, any pet owner will tell you that the unconditional love you get from the doggies is just it's a wonder. It really, it really is. And I know between Tuco and Isabella, a they reduce anxiety on a Sunday. B they lower my blood pressure on what is already a very stressful day of the week as well. So that's how I approach Sundays, working on the newsletter at home. And this kind of takes us into a question that you can answer, Mark, and that is, you know, we got one of these uh, podcast questions who asks, what is Mark's usual procedure on a Sunday during the NFL? Mark, before we get into this Patriots-Jets game, uh, how do you approach Sundays? What is your typical Sunday like in the NFL? Well, that's a great question, Victor, and I'm really glad you asked me. And believe me, we didn't talk about this, so I love you throwing no, that no. in the spur of the right. moment. I love that. I love doing that stuff. Uh, I was going to say at the King household, but before you got into the dog aspect of it, which I completely <laughs> didn't understand, I thought you were going to mention uh, Sundays watching football and enjoying Sandy's paella, uh, which is probably <laughs> <laughs> really terrific as well. But as far as my Sundays go in the, uh, in the national or on Sundays, what I find myself doing is every Sunday morning I get up, I download the stats, I hand log all the stats from every college football game that was played the day before into my stat and log. But that takes about four hours to do that. And after I log those and I log those, by the time I'm watching the NFL games on uh, the Sunday ticket on my direct TV, watching the Red Zone channel, I get all that stuff ready for when I enter the lines into the database with Victor Preps, the database, sends it over to me. I get ready. I enter the lines for next week's game in the database, and I start firing away with the systems and angles that will be made available on this week's football card. I get all that ready. I have dinner that night. I go back, and I start putting all those systems together with what I have statistically, what I just logged, and that's the marriage, and that's the beautiful point of handicapping is when you can marry statistics along with systems and angles and fundamentals, you have all of the best of all the handicapping world. So that's a Sunday for me in the Lawrence household, Victor. I'm going to throw it back to you and find out what, uh, aside from being with the dogs and Sandy on Sunday, I'm going to turn it back to you and see what you what your thought is on this Jets-Patriots football game, if you will. Well, the, uh, the game with the Jets and Patriots, we are at, what, 38 and a half right now. And in fact, the over-under line of this game opened at 39 and a half, and the line has moved in a downward direction. Uh, most of the early action in the AFC East Division game uh, is going low, but as the line goes low, I'm liking the over actually more and more in this particular game. Now, these two teams, the Patriots and the Jets, they just played each other three weeks ago in New York. The final score was 22 to 17. But with that said, the last three in this series played in New England have gone a perfect 3-0 to the over with a really nice high average of 51.0 combined points per game. And the database highlight in regards to this particular game looks at same division games that have a low over-under line. And believe me, the, this line is on the low side. Here's something from the database that's actually gone 15 and one to the over. That's 15 overs, only one under in the last seven years. And we're looking at, we're looking at game two or greater, same division home favorites of less than a touchdown. That's the Patriots when the over underline in the game 
is less than 40 points. These games have gone, again, 15-1 and one to the over. The fact that both of these teams are off their bye week is also actually a good sign for a you know higher-than-expected final score. Since 26, 2006, 14 overs, only two unders, all NFL games when both teams are off their bye week, when the over-under line is less than 40. And since uh, 2010, we've actually gone a pro and O to the over, average margin plus 13.3 points per game. They've always been good overplays when both teams are coming in off their bye week and the over-under line is in the mid to low side here. And I also ran a over-under query that's kind of division-specific, and this has gone 10-0-1 over-under since 2015. Game 8 or greater, all AFC East division games in which the host is favored by greater than 3 and less than 14 points. And again, the over-under line is 45 or less. Again, these games that have gone 10-0-1 to the over. Now, of course, New England, they just held the Colts to only three points in their most recent game before the bye. So uh, that gives us an 8-1-1 over-under situation. Home favorites of a field goal or more after their bye week who allowed three or less points in their last game. And, you know, for the Jets, this is actually their third straight division game in a row this week. And that plays right into a beautiful 8-0 over-under situation in our database over the last five years. And that's all underdogs playing in their third straight division game in a row, again, with the over-under line at 44 or less points. You know, all of a sudden, Gillette Stadium in Foxborough has been host to numerous recent shootouts dating back to last season. The Patriots are now 8-2 and two to the over in their last 10 home games with a gaudy average of 48.4 combined points per game. Track the line move in this one. Follow the line move. When you see it reaching its lowest point, we are going to pull the trigger and play over the total Jets and Patriots. I mean, it can still be a low 24-20, to 20, and the game would still go over by six points. So that's our play for this week, Mark. A lot of people going under. We're going the other way and playing over the total in this AFC East division game. So as Victor goes over the total in that big football game on Sunday, let's take a look from the winning point spread side in the contest. First of all, at the New York Jets. And as we all know, the Jets have had their problems against New England. No question about that. They've dropped 21 of the last 20 in the series, including 13 losses in a row. But to that, I will say, None of those teams were of the caliber that this New York Jets football team is this year. That's a big, big difference in this football contest. It's all about Robert Sala and what he's done done with his program the last two years. And in fact, looking at his body of work for the Jets, Robert Sala with the Jets, when he's taken on an opponent that comes in off a win and cover their previous game, he's done it seven times. He's won four of those games straight up and covered the spread six times. The midweek alert football newsletter, our statistical newsletter, chips in and reminds us that the New York Jets own both the better offense and defense in this football game. That's a rarity. You don't find that too often with the Jets and the Patriots in a matchup like that, where the Jets have the best in the football contest. New England checks in here, if you can believe it, last place in the AFC East. 
with a winning record, but nonetheless, last place in the AFC East. New England has held two of their last four opponents to season low yards, so they're playing good defense. And they've also played really, really rather well as single-digit favorites this year. They've been in four games where they've been installed as a single-digit favorite. They've won all four games and went 3-0-1 against the spread. The one hiccup that the database finds is that when they're at home off a of bye week, they're just 1-10-1 against the spread are the New England Patriots. I'm going to side to the New York Jets in this football contest here, and this is a great little stat that I ran across this week. The New York Jets are top 10 scoring in uh, overall defense this year. If they happen to finish the season in the top 10 in scoring in overall defense, it would be the first time in NFL football history that a team goes from last place in those two stats one year to top 10 the next year. That's how improved this New York Jets football team is this year. It's not a fluke. I'll take the points with the New York Jets for my side in this football game. And with that, let's hop out to Las Vegas now. We're going to check out on the Vegas vibe going on with Andy Isco in Vegas for one of our favorite segments in the show. Andy, welcome once again back to the show, and I hope all's going well for you in Vegas these days. Thanks, Mark. Everything is going well out here other than the uh, chilly, unseasonable weather that we've had where we've had temperatures dip into the 30s in the overnight hours and uh, reach highs in the low to mid-60s in the daylight hours. Uh, almost makes you think I slept through Thanksgiving and Christmas, but uh, fortunately <laughs> I haven't, so we still have some good meals and family celebrations to look forward to, but the weather has some catching up to do. Well, you know, it'll turn, Andy, and I know it'll get a little crisp there but between now and by the time the first of the new year rolls around, but uh, keep that in mind when you're talking about the weather in Buffalo and Northeast this week when uh, a monster snowstorm is supposed to hit. And everybody is, we're going to see snowflakes on the football playing fields this year, telling us that it's football season in the NFL this year. So enjoy what you've got, Andy. It's, by comparison, really a pretty nice time to be in Vegas. Yeah, that's and very with, true. In, in fact, uh, I'm, when I think about the first snow of the season, I think of like the game in Dallas on uh, Thanksgiving Day, where I usually see the first snowflakes. We may see that again this year. Well, Andy's not, he's accustomed to this. Believe me, guys. I mean, uh, he went to Penn, uh, Ivy League guy, man. He went to Pennsylvania. So he knows all about <laughs> frigid weather back east this time of the year. Andy, with that, uh, it's contest time in Las Vegas going on here right now. And uh, I'll be curious when we get down to the grand finale of the Survivor to see how everything's shaking out there. But if you would do us the honor and bring us up to speed about what's going on in the big contest in Las Vegas as we head into the week before Thanksgiving. Sure, Mark. I'll, I'll start, as I usually do, by looking at the combination NFL and college football contest being run by the Golden Nugget. Uh, it's a contest where you pick seven games a week. They do have basically every college game, every college side up and available, as well as NFL sides. No uh, totals, as are, there aren't any totals in any of these contests. Uh, and just go over the leaderboard. There's really no consensus because it's a limited number of selections and about 70 games from which uh, contestants can choose each week. But what is surprising is that the leader in this contest is actually hitting below 67%. It's not unusual because of the plethora of college football contestants in the uh, contest that we see a high, higher rate in this combination contest than we do usually in the NFL contest. But there is one contestant who is at 65.7%. Uh, that's 46 out of a possible 70 points. That's uh, just uh, good enough for a one-point lead over another contestant. And we go down to the uh, 
final paying places, which they pay a 20 in ties. And right now to be cashing in this contest, you would only need to be hitting, and I use only in quotes because it's not as easy as it sounds, 56.4% has you uh, cashing. And actually in the Golden Nugget contest, uh, cash should be in quotes. You get your entry fee back if you finish 11th through 20th. Uh, plus to any ties. You make money if you finish first through uh, a tenth. Looking at the uh, major contest, starting as we usually do with the Westgate Super Contest, the granddaddy of the uh, football contest uh, here in Las Vegas now, and it's 30, I think it's about 34th year, 35th year, uh, going back to the old Las Vegas Hilton in the late 1980s. Uh, we chart the consensus plays, the top five plays each week. Each contestant makes five selections against the static point spread. And uh, historically, uh, folks have liked to follow what the overall consensus of the contestants are. Uh, coming into the week, the top five results through uh, uh, the first nine weeks, that's 45 selections. The top five picks had been 27-17 with one push, and that's 61.1% for the consensus, very good year for the consensus. This past week, not quite as good a week as the consensus went two and three. The two winning selections were the Steelers plus one and a half at home against the Saints and the Titans laying two and a half in their home win and cover against the uh, Denver Broncos. The losers this week, the top pick overall, the Bears laying two and a half in their one point loss at home to Detroit. Uh, Cleveland plus three and a half. Competitive first half, they ended up getting blown out in the second half at Miami and Seattle plus two and a half in their game over in uh, Germany. So two and three for the week brings the uh, Super Contest Classic consensus to 29, 20 and one. And again, 20 point, tw- uh, one for a point spread cover, half a point for a point spread push, 59.0 percent through the first 50 picks uh, in this uh, year's contest for the contestants. As far as the uh, results go, four contestants are tied with 35 and a half out of a possible uh, uh, 50 points uh, through the first 10 weeks, and that's 71.0%. Super Contest pays the top 30 and uh, ties, and right now the contestants who are in the uh, final uh, paying positions are at 66% with 33 uh, points. 18 more just out of paying position at 65. So that's still a pretty good percentage for the contest, a little bit more than halfway into the season. Talk about the standings in the Super Contest Gold. That's the $5,000 entry fee winner-take-all contest. 80 entries this year, playing for one person who will collect $400,000 at the end of the season. The leader in this contest, actually a two a contestant tie uh, at 34 out of 50 points at 68%. That's good enough for a point and a half lead over one contestant in, well, I guess technically it's third place at 65%. Looking now at the other major contests that have uh, come to uh, uh, be part of the handicapping and contest scene the last few years over at the Circa Hotel and Casino, uh, the Circa Millions Contest, which offers a million-dollar first prize, pays uh, the uh, top 100 contestants, and uh, they it's a similar format to the uh, Westgate Super Contest, five selections a week, and the consensus through the first nine weeks of the, of the uh, five top selections at Circa, 24, 18, and three, that's 56.7%, and uh, their results almost, almost mirrored identically uh, the uh, Westgate consensus, and, and to the extent that they were both two and three, the two winners, uh, the Steelers uh, with their win over New Orleans and the Titans with their win over the uh, Denver Broncos. The losers were on Seattle, 
Chicago, and the Cleveland Browns for a two and three record, bringing the season to date record in the Circa Millions contest, 26, 21, and three. And that is 55%. Two contestants are tied for the overall lead in the contest with 36 and a half out of 50 points. That's 73.0%, followed by one contestant at 70.0%. This contest does pay uh, the top uh, uh, 100 uh, finishers, so there are 41 contestants for the last few payoff spots. That's 64% right now for contestants in the circuit contest to be in the money for the uh, full season contest. Now, getting down to the uh, contest to which you referred at the start of this, uh, the circuit Survivor. That contest began with 6,133 entries. Uh, entries through week nine, only 115 or 1.88% of the original field uh, was still remaining. Of the 115 contestants or entries still alive, 86 advanced. Uh, the most popular selection, actually the top three top selections all advanced. 36 were on the Chiefs, 30 were on the 49ers, and 17 were on the Giants. Also one each on the Steelers, Dolphins, and Titans. The 29 contestants or entries that were eliminated uh, involved three teams. 10 lost with the Raiders, 10 lost with the Eagles, 8 lost with the Bears, and one more one uh, contestant lost with the Saints. So 86 advance. That uh, means that of the 6133, 98.6% uh, of the of the entries have been eliminated. Uh, that's 6047 out of the 6133. So 1.4% remain. And I, I the last few weeks I've been giving you comparison to last year. And last year was the week when uh, the field got trimmed significantly. Uh, there were only 173 of 4,080 entries alive after 10 weeks. They lost uh, 500. I forget the exact numbers. Over 500 entries in week 10 last week, the last Ooh. season that went down. So uh, at this point, 1.4% remain this year. That compares to 4.24%. Uh, uh, last year at this same time, 10 weeks into the season. And of course, we still have uh, the two uh, Thanksgiving uh, weeks. They, they split it into two parts for the contest, as they do for uh, the Christmas holiday. And uh, haven't seen the prop yet, but I mentioned it last week. Be interested to see if there's going to be a prop as to will this contest go the full 20 weeks uh, or the completion of the season as it did the first two years of this contest. That's an interesting prop, especially with the noobs in there, you know, picking uh, twice Thanksgiving week and twice Christmas week. So that makes it a little bit intriguing, although the amount of entries that are alive this year are way down from where they were last year. I don't know which way I would go in that prop. What would you do, Andy? Uh, I, well, I think, I don't know if we mentioned it last week, but I think we had talked about the one contestant who had been playing six entries, uh, yes. and all six on the same yeah. team for the first, uh, nine weeks or first eight weeks did the same thing last week and, uh, got eliminated when, uh, uh, well, I guess it was two weeks ago when Buffalo, uh, beat the uh, New York jets. Uh, I don't know how many contestants, individuals still have multiple entries of the remaining 86, but I would think, uh, depending upon what the price, if they if they priced it minus 110 each way, as far as the will it or won't it, I'd be more inclined to uh, play the won't 
uh, with just uh, 86 entries remaining because you still have eight weeks remaining in the season, a lot of upsets, a lot of games late in the year. And, of course, remember, you can only use a team once, so the contestants, the 86 who are still alive, those entries, they've used a total of uh, 10 teams already, and there are uh, 22 remaining, and a lot of those 22 may have very little, if anything, to play for over the final couple of, couple of weeks of the season. Rest starters, put in players for next year, etc. So, with such a small field remaining, I'd be more inclined to think that we might that we won't make it the full 20 weeks. I'd I'd be happy so, if they did because there's a one million dollar bonus for someone who goes 20 and 0. You know, multiple yes. people do if they uh, use that caveat. I think if they had not used the Bengals or the Rams all season. And I think it didn't take very long for people to not use the Rams anymore this year, uh, that they get an extra million dollars or share it if it's more than one person, then they go perfect. That's what I call sage advice from a sage expert in Las Vegas, Andy Isco. One of the things that I was taught early on, especially when it comes to prop betting, uh, more more so in Super Bowls, is that uh, the public loves to bet yes and over in props, and the sharps bet the nose and the unders. So, Andy, no surprise to me that he would say no to that particular prop. And for a lot yeah, of you know, reasons. That plays say, along with the prop, with the, with the uh, uh, especially the totals, where a game start, uh, games do not go under the total. They start under and they stay under unless they go over or until they go over. So you're always in a good shot early uh, until uh, it's uh, that's a whole different topic. Why I don't like uh, the fact that baseball games have to go the full nine innings if a game has gone over the total after seven. That's a winner. The under is a loser. Unfortunately, the betting rules, at least in most places that I'm aware of, you get a refund if the game doesn't go at least eight and a half innings with the uh, home team winning or nine innings or more if the uh, visitor is winning. So as Andy says, if you're betting the unders, the cake is baked before the game begins, guys. It's just a question <laughs> whether or not it'll explode over by the end of the I love those uh, food of- references. So, yeah, so, yeah, but somebody but someone left the cake out in the rain. Thank you, MacArthur. <laughs> yes. There we go. I, I love it, man. We're tying everything into the show. <laughs> We're visiting with Andy Esco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas, getting the update of the Vegas vibe and everything that's going on in Las Vegas this particular week. And Andy, if you would share with our listeners out there a very popular segment on the show, some of the look-ahead lines that have emanated from Las Vegas, maybe particularly from the Superbook. Uh, those look-ahead lines that were either out before the season began or even last week, as opposed to what the lines will be this week. As we get deeper and deeper into the season, we see much more of a variant from what teams were thought of prior to the actually start of training camp, because these lines, I believe, came out in July as training camps were about to open, and even to where they were 10 days prior to the games being played. I'll start with the Thursday night game, for example. Uh, Not a huge change uh, other than with the total, actually. And, of course, as Victor knows, there's been a predominance of unders this year. That continues. I think last last week it was 50-50, so it's still 20-something games uh, net below uh, or with the unders this year. Uh, But the uh, Green Bay hosting Tennessee, prior to the start of the season, the Packers were five-and-a-half-point home favorites in that game. Everyone thought Green Bay was going to, once again, almost by default win the NFC North and Tennessee. Yeah, they were going to be a, a playoff team, but not the caliber of of, uh, of Green Bay. So Green Bay five five and a half made uh, made sense when the line was posted prior to last week's games. Uh, the line was down to Green Bay minus one. Uh, then later in the day, 
It was reposted after the Tennessee won their game against Denver and Green Bay lost in overtime to uh, uh, to Dallas. I'm sorry, Green Bay won in overtime uh, against Dallas. The line was reposted at one. Since then, action has come in on uh, Green Bay, such that the Packers are now three-point home favorites, moving a little bit more towards the summer line. But I mentioned the total in this game over the summer. Now, when West, Some places put up lines on all 18 weeks, but they only do it for sides. Westgate did it for both sides and totals, and the over uh, the over of the summer number for this game was 48. When it got reposted uh, 10 days before this coming week's games, it, full touchdown adjustment down to 41, reflecting the fact that overall the league has been lower scoring this year, and uh, Green Bay uh, specifically has had some difficulty. And uh, you look at Tennessee's games this year, I know Victor knows the exact number, but they're averaging less than 40 total points, and we're 10 games, 9, 10 games into the season. I think there are three such teams. I know Tennessee and Denver, and I think there's one other team that's also below 40 total points in a game this year. Looking at some other games, I'll just mention this one. Uh, Bears at Falcons. Falcons were a one-point favor over the summer. Then they were adjusted uh, 10 days before coming week's games to a five-point home favor. That's a huge adjustment. They've been bet back down to right in the middle of where the summer number and the 10-day number was. They're now favored by three. Uh, the Ravens, seven-and-a-half-point home favorites over Carolina over the summer. Now 12-and-a-half-point when the line came point favorites when the lines came out uh, 10 days in advance and uh, it remains again at, at 12 right now this is a really interesting one philadelphia at uh, indianapolis over the summer the colts were four point home favorites over the eagles Whoa. a lot of, a lot of hype on indianapolis being a playoff team this year uh, Eagles, of course, had been a playoff team last year, and they were a hot team over the summer, both in talk of uh, winning the NFC East and even Super Bowl odds came down with the Eagles. And so far, notwithstanding Monday's night, uh, Monday night's loss to, to uh, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, their game to Washington, uh, they're still a very heavily and very popular team, very heavily favored team. But that line came up 10 days before the game, nine and a half point favorites. It's actually gone all the way down to six and a half points right now. And I'm wondering, uh, Mark and Victor, if that run by Matty Ryan for the Colts last week, the longest of his career, might just be the spark that propels the Colts onto a little short-term uh, momentum. The coaching change that was very much criticized, not for the change, but for Jeff Saturday being named uh, they played very well last week, uh, albeit it was against the struggling Raiders. But none, sometimes you can point to one play as turning a team season around. Let's see how that sure. works for the Colts in the uh, weeks going uh, uh, forward. Rams at Saints. The Rams were three-point road favorites over the summer. When the 10-day advance line came out, uh, it was a pick. Uh, when Sunday's numbers were reposted, Saints were one-and-a-half-point favorites. It's gone up to four, but that's mostly because of the injury to Cooper Cup that's going to keep him uh, sidelined for uh, at least a month since he was placed on the IR. A couple of more. Denver at home against the Raiders. Over the summer, Denver was a four-and-a-half-point home favorite. Line kind of made sense. Everybody was high on the Broncos, and they thought the, the Raiders might uh, repeat their playoff performance as a wild card from last year. What is surprising is when the line came out 10 days in advance of the game, Denver was still favored, but given the Raiders, who at that point were off the back-to-back -back losses at New Orleans and uh, Jacksonville, Denver was just a one-and-a-half-point home favorite in that game when the line was reposted this Sunday after the uh, Raiders lost to the Colts and the Broncos were competitive but came up short against Tennessee. Denver opened and remains a two-and-a-half-point home favorite. Chargers hosting the Chiefs over the summer. and There was a lot of enthusiasm for the Chargers. This game was a uh, pick 'em. 
when the 10-day uh, advance line came out, Chiefs were five-and-a-half-point favorites. They reopened Sunday evening as seven-point road favorites, down a tick to six-and-a-half. And I'll mention the Monday night game. That's the game that's being played in Mexico City. 49ers at Cardinals, their first meeting this year, uh, knowing, of course, that it was a neutral game and knowing that Arizona had made the playoffs last year. Remember, they started 7-0 and in 2020 uh, before making the playoffs but losing uh, to, I think, was the Rams in their first game. 49ers were just a one-and-a-half-point neutral site favorite over oh. Arizona. Uh, at the uh, start, uh, prior to the start of the season. Uh, when the line came out for the 10-day advance line, based upon what these teams had done, 49ers were five-and-a-half-point favorites. After Sunday's action, uh, they uh, reopened as a seven-and-a-half-point, I'm sorry, neutral site favorite, and they've been bet up to eight. So that's another line where we have basically a touchdown difference between what we thought of these teams in July, or what the bookmakers thought of these teams in July, Westgate specifically, and where these teams are now, what the uh, uh, sports books think of them, you know, slightly more than halfway through the season. That's a nice update, if you will, the look ahead lines from Andy Isco in Las Vegas of what we're looking at this week, as opposed to what was posted earlier in the year and even as far as last week. So a lot of movement, to say the least, in the National Football League this week. We're visiting with Andy Isco from the logicalapproach.com publisher one of the finest football newsletters in the country if you're not reading the newsletter you're not winning i advise you do just that log on at thelogicalapproach.com and get yourself lined up for not only this football season but get ready for the basketball season coming up ahead andy with that we're going to hop over to what you do best your selections and your complimentary play on the football card this week if you will well mark i think for the first time this may be the first time ever that i'm uh, going 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 to go opposite a game that you had uh, discussed, and that's the game we, uh, between the Patriots uh, and the Jets. And there are a lot of good reasons to support the Jets, and you mentioned many of them uh, in your discussion of it. It's the second meeting this season in what has been a one-sided rivalry for uh, many years with their 22-17 win at the Jets in Week 8. Patriots have now won 19 of the last 21 meetings. Uh, the good news for the Jets is that they are coming off their bye week with extra time to prepare. Uh, the bad news for the Jets is that so are the Patriots coming off of their bye week. Uh, I've noted in the past uh, uh, New England coach Belichick and his longtime disdain for the Jets, uh, which the uh, aforementioned record also uh, bears out. The time off allows both quarterbacks, Wilson uh, of the Jets and Jones of the Patriots, to heal uh, from nagging injuries. Uh, this might be normally a letdown spot for the Jets after their upset of Buffalo, uh, but because of the bye week, it's allowed time uh, that uh, for that euphoria to run its course. So it's I, I don't really consider it a uh, a letdown spot for the Jets as opposed to if they were playing the immediately uh, next week. Both are one and one in the AFC East. A win here by New England completes a sweep and has a significant impact on uh, both teams' chances of making the playoffs. Uh, the Jets uh, have clearly been one of the biggest surprises of the season. The primary stats are fairly even between the two teams. Uh, the secondary stats do give a slight edge to the Jets, and the gap, I think, is closing between these uh, longtime rivals. But until the Jets can finally get over that hump, I'm compelled to back the Pats uh, with Belichick's preparation and coaching a, a huge intangible edge against Robert Seller, who I think is a fine coach and will have these Jets. But until they show that they can beat the Jets, and they had their chances in that first game, uh, in running only uh, 58 plays, they gained 387 yards. 
uh, net yards against the uh, uh, against the uh, gross yards against the Patriots. Patriots ran 75 plays and could only uh, gain 288 yards. Uh, net yards against the uh, the Jets. Uh, part of it was that the Jets got to uh, the Patriots quarterback six times for 33 yards lost in sacks. Uh, again, if if um, if this game were at the Jets, I'd probably be on that because I was looking for reasons to play the Jets. I just couldn't find them. If this line, uh, which at one point was I think four and a half or five, I could make a better case for the Jets. But considering this this line is minus three, and you're basically just asking the Patriots to win and even by a field goal gets you a push. I'm compelled to uh, play the Jets this week and um, if they uh, if the pay, if the Jets win this game uh, all of a sudden it becomes uh, 19 and 2 for New England but the two will have been the most recent meeting. And 19 and 2 still sounds pretty good Andy. <laughs> yeah but see that, that's the yeah. thing you do have to remember though that the two was the most recent effect and uh, you know again we're starting to look in the post Brady era for the uh, uh, Patriots but again it's and I don't know that's ever been fully explained uh, why uh, Belichick has had this long time disdain for the Jets that dates back over his one day as head coach of the Jets. Yeah, who knows? Maybe it's a Joe Namath thing. <laughs> who knows? Uh, but nonetheless, he does dominate this football team. This is in a price range that uh, is very, very attractive for the New England Patriots. Andy going with Bill Belichick against the whipping boys, the New York Jets, for his complimentary play on the show this week. Andy, once again, a great job on the show this week. I'm going to wish you the very best of luck this week. Let's hope the ball bounces your way. And we'll look forward to visiting you through next week, Thanksgiving week here on Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. It's always a pleasure, Mark. I wish uh, you, Victor, all the listeners slash viewers a successful week. And uh, so as to uh, not upset anyone, if the uh, Patriots win by three, uh, well, we got to enjoy a competitive game and <laughs> neither of us suffers a loss. And we have both had some, a couple of pretty good analysis on that football game. <laughs> exactly. Thanks again, Andy. Have a great week this week, and I'll catch you next week. Thanks, guys. That was Andy Isco joining us from Las Vegas as we got to check down what's going on in Vegas this particular week. Before I hop over to my awesome angle of the week, my good buddy Jim Feist from Las Vegas has got a complimentary play on the football card this week, and I know you're going to love it. Check it out next. Hey, Jim, what are you looking at this week? Thanks, Mark. I have another underdog in the Big Ten this week. I'm going to go with Iowa. I'm going to take the three points. They're visiting Minnesota, and this is a big rivalry. And they're still both battling for the Big Ten championship. Well, not really. You know, it's not going to end up that way. But on paper, that's the way it looks. Here's what we got. We've got a rushing team that can't throw the ball. That's Minnesota. And with their quarterback being hurt, that even makes it worse. Iowa comes in with a great defense, and that's the way I'm going with this. I'm going to take the points with the live underdog, the Iowa Hawkeyes. That's right, Iowa plus the three to win it all, straight up. Thanks once again, Jim. I like your selection side in your complimentary play so much to the point. And it's also going to match up with our awesome angle of the week this week. So I know our listeners out there are going to love this awesome angle. Let's find out what it's all about. We call it Ain't No Stopping Us Now. And what we're looking to do in our awesome angle this week is to plan any college football 6-4 and four team in game number 11 of the season that's coming off a win if they're taking on an opponent off a straight-up and ATS win. So these 6-4 and four football teams are our bowl-eligible teams, game 11, 6-4, and four, 
coming off a win, their opponent feeling pretty good about that winning cover they had the last game. By doing just this, these teams are 16-4 and four against the spread since 1980. That's a rock-solid 80% winning angle. And it comes to the Iowa Hawkeyes, the play that Jim Feist likes as well, for my awesome angle play on the football card this week. And with that, I'm going to hand off to Victor King from King Creole Sports to find out what Victor's complimentary play on the card is this week. And Victor, if you would, let us just know what you've got on tap this week as well. Sure thing, Mark. You know, first off, we can't uh, we can't uh, go by without talking about our newsletter special, three for a quarter. All of this week's newsletters, all three of them, midweek alert, totals tip sheet, playbook newsletter for twenty five dollars, available at the playbooksports.com website. On page two of this week's newsletter, Mark pays tribute, musical tribute to his man Johnny Cash, and I walk the line. And, Mark, I, I don't know who did the write-up for the Georgia-Kentucky game, but it was hilarious. A very obscure reference to a cartoon character from my past named Snagglepuss and his heavens to Murgatroy uh, that he always used to shout it out during the cartoons. I don't know who brought that one up, but that was a good one, Mark. Well, Victor, I'll give you a little insight here, and so too will our listeners, and you're going to like knowing this, okay? We get a lot of help. We have three guys basically write the college football card every week from the notes that I pass along to them, pointing to the sides that we want to get to in the games. One of our writers is Dave Lamont. He used to be a broadcaster for ESPN and called the college football. Right. Dave is very, very well written. You read his stuff here. You really, (laughs) he gets inside of everything that he does. And he happened to do that Georgia game. So if our listeners are out there, check out his write up on that big Georgia football game. That's a good one, Mark. Now, before we get to our King Creole free play, you know, as long as Andy was talking about the look-ahead lines, they just, I was kind of curious what the Thanksgiving Day over-under lines would be in the NFL, and they just came out while we were doing the show here, and this is just for your own information, but guess who Detroit is hosting next week in that first Turkey Day game? The Buffalo Bills. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Buffalo has opened up as a 10-point road favorite in that game. Over underline 51.5. It's already gone up to 52.5. I wouldn't be surprised if it got into the range of 54 or 55 once we got a little closer to a game day in that Buffalo-Detroit game. In the afternoon game, Dallas always hosts the late afternoon game on Turkey Day. They're favored by 6.5 points over division rival New York Giants with a low over-under line of 43 points, and Dallas has already been bet up to minus seven in that game. In the night game, we got a really nice non-conference battle between the Patriots, who are uh, heading to the Great White North and taking on the Minnesota Vikings indoors, with Minnesota favored by three and a half, and an over-under line of 43 and a half in that particular game. So that's your Turkey Day look ahead in regards to the NFL. And let me uh, punch up this week's Totals Tip Sheet newsletter so we can get to our free play of the week. And this one is pretty much a no-brainer. If you're not betting Denver Bronco over uh, under the total these days, you are missing out big time because Denver's the number one under team in all of football this year at 1-8 and eight over under. They're only averaging 14.6 points per game on offense. They got a great defense who's averaging less than 17 points per game. And their average over under margin in those nine games has been a whopping minus 10.4 
points Whoa. per game. Their average line has been 42.6. Average score in Denver games, only 31.2. Now, the over-under line in this game is right at a key number as we speak. It opened up 42. It's down to 41 and a half. And, folks, it's going to go down even more. So get in with me at that key number of 41 and a half. Again, I say that because 41 is a key number in the NFL. There are numerous scoring combinations that can result in a game finishing right on top of 41 points exactly. Popular scores like 34 to 7, 31 to 10, 28 to 13, 27 to 14, and 21 to 20. All those popular scoring combinations finish right at 41 points. So again, make sure you get a line that cashes a W just in case this one finishes right on top of 41 points. Uh, the Denver Raiders series, it's gone three and nine to the under in the last 12 meetings. Not only that, but their second of the series season has gone one and seven over under in the last eight years. We talked about the Raiders last week. They are a respectable offensive team at home, averaging 28.3 points per game. But on the road, the Raiders have really struggled to score. We saw that a couple of weeks ago when they got shut out. Was it against New Orleans on the road, I believe? But uh, they're only averaging 18.0 points per game on offense on the road this season. That is the Raiders. And as division road underdogs of less than a TD, They've gone one and ten over under in the last eight years. Average margin minus nine point eight points per game. So again, get in when you can. Make sure your line is forty-one and a half or less points. We're playing Denver and the Raiders under the total for your free play. And we'll have another big one in the NFL this week. Mark a four-star over of the week. We'll be putting it up at the PlaybookSports.com website as soon as we finish the podcast here on Wednesday afternoon, so you want to check that out as well. And as I understand it, someone's got a really big play in college football going this weekend. That I do. Our listeners out there want to know. I just want to make sure that you caught that Vegas-Denver under for complimentary play in the football card this week. And don't miss that big four-star overplay. It'll be on this website at playbooksports.com after the podcast. You mentioned a big play this week, and I, I do have just that, Victor. It's my once-a-year 10-star college football play of the year. It's going to go this Saturday. Nice. And it's part of a, what I call a $99 10-star weekend of winners. Every college and NFL selection play I make from Saturday through Monday, including that big 10-star college football game of the year, just 99 bucks, or better yet, join me for the rest of our 10-star November special. Get this week and next week which will include our five-star NFL game of the month on Turkey Shoot Weekend, all for just a buck forty-nine. To get on board, log on at playbooksports.com or give our office a call at 1-800-321-7777. Before I get to my complimentary play, just a quick note that our friends at mybookie.ag are once again offering a double first deposit bonus to anybody that logs on at mybookie.ag. Make that first deposit, use the promo code playbook, and they'll give you a double first deposit bonus when you do just that. Mybookie.ag, promo code playbook, to get your double first deposit bonus. Make that a priority for this particular weekend. Before I get to my complimentary play here, guys, I'm going to share with you 
we're dedicating the show to my sister who we mentioned at the top of the show who passed and i want to share with you if i may one of my favorite brother sister talks that we had It'd be a little tough for me to get through this but i'm going to do it okay I remember when we were in Cleveland, Ohio, my sister worked with us for 20 years and she, she was in charge of all of our newsstands and she did a great job running that operation. And just a fantastic worker and even yet a better sister. So one day she comes into my office and she says, hey, I gotta ask you a question. And I said, what's up sis? And she says, well, as you know, we're having some problems at home. She's having marital problems and I want your opinion. And I said, well, what's going on? And she explained the situation to me and it, it didn't sound like it was alarming to me. And I, while she was talking to me in my office, over to the side was the window in my office. And I looked over at the window and I saw in the very corner of the window, a little crack in the window. And I said to her, I says, look, Lorraine, I says, listen, we're going to have problems in life and we're going to have problems in marriages, but everything, not everything is going to go perfect. And you see that window there? You don't have to tear down the whole wall and begin again. You can just replace the pane in the window and start new and everything will be fresh again. And I, she got this big look on her face like, wow, I didn't even think of like that. And to this day, I feel like Ron Rivera here, <laughs> Victor. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, she, she's happily married, and her and her husband are like peanut butter and jelly. So that's my little story that I wanted to pass along. Beautiful, Mark. Absolutely. Okay, guys. Let me do this. Let me get to my complimentary play where, where I'll be a little more in my wheelhouse if I met you, okay? On the football card this week... Uh, as far as the football car goes, I'm going to go to the National Football League side of things. And we're going to look at the Chicago Bears as an underdog in their football game against the Atlanta Falcons this week. And for a couple of reasons here, you take a look at the Chicago Bear football team. They've rushed the football now for 200 or more yards, five games in a row. Six times all year, but five games in a row. They're the only team in National Football League history to score 28 or more points three consecutive games and lose all three football games. This football team is flying really under the radar right now. They're being very well coached, and their quarterback is really coming into his own. Take a look at the Atlanta Falcons here. The last eight times that they played teams out of the NFC North, they're just 1-7 and seven to the spread. And as I mentioned before, early on, they're one of the phoniest teams in the NFL, the Falcons. They've outyarded only one of their 10 opponents this year, yet they're the number two seed if the playoffs were to begin in the NFC playoffs right now. Right now, they're on a 0-5 point or 0-4 point spread slide. That was after open 6-0 straight up and against the spread. Like the law of averages and their play in the field has caught up to them. Take the points with the Chicago Bears for my complimentary play on the football card. That's going to put the final wraps in this edition of Mark Lawrence Against the Spread. I'm going to thank my beautiful sister, Lorraine, and also our good friend Victor King from King Creole Sports for a great job for gutting it out, Victor, winning, doing one for the Gipper this particular week, and Isco from TheLogicalApproach.com in Las Vegas. And until next week, once again, this is Mark Lawrence reminding you to always to remember to bet with your head, not over it, and good luck as always.